Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you. End of life issues. That's a big deal. How do we navigate them in the light of the church's teaching? Today, I have an interview with Father Darren Connell, and we're going to discuss that in, in the light of an upcoming workshop that is happening here in the Spokane area. You'll learn about that as well in the program. Um, so that's in the first part of the program. At the end of the program, I am going to share with you once again the interview I did with Father Wade Manesis, who will be in town this weekend for a retreat on the Eucharist. All this and more on Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Well, I want to welcome to the program, Father Darren Connell. He's the rector of Our Lady of Lords Cathedral in Spokane, Washington. Father Connell, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Tom. Father, are you staying warm? It's freezing out there. Uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the honest answer is no, it's cold. <laughs> Uh, but I, this too shall pass. Yes, it shall. Uh, and, and, you know, it's uh, interesting. You, you, I'm sure you're aware of this. And Dante's Inferno, right? So the Divine Comedy, the first is yeah. uh, Dante's Path Through Hell. Well, at, the, at the very core, the deepest circle of That's hell. That's right. What is it? It's, there's is, ice. Is Satan, is Satan frozen in a lake of ice? I was thinking about that, that uh, some, some uh, theologians have speculated that hell is uh, that the punishment of hell is really cold because of, and, and, and Dante picked up on that as well, having Satan frozen in that lake, flapping his wings, uh, <clears throat> making the ice even colder and trapping him more. So I don't know if I want fire or, or cold. I, I guess I'd rather have <laughs> neither of them. Yeah, let's just avoid hell altogether. How about that? Can we make an agreement on that? Attaboy, I agree. Yeah. Well, in, in fact, it's kind of interesting because we bring up this idea that this freezing cold moment can be a moment of stopping and reflecting on something that Dante brings to our attention. And in a certain, and, and that's the ultimate end of things. Like where do we all end up and how do we all approach the end of our lives? And it actually is a nice little tee up for what we're here to talk about, which has to do with the end of life and preparing for it well, which is something mm -hmm. that I think that, um, let's say, maybe not enough Catholics really take the time to attend to. Uh, would you agree with that? I would. And, you know, before I guess we get into the meat of this, I, one of the things I always tell people is that, you know, my job is to lay out, you know, what the ideal is in terms of the church's teaching. This isn't my church, belongs to Christ, and but my job is to present um, what the church, you know, expects of us. Now, when that's done, all of us can sometimes look back on decisions we've made, particularly with regard to death and dying, and say, you know, darn it, I, I didn't do that quite right. And so I just want everyone to know that I'm in that category. I have regrets about decisions I've made with others 
you know, regarding death and dying. And so we just have to leave all that to the mercy of God. I don't want to, I don't want to let that stop me or us from examining what the church would like us to do going forward. So just maybe as a little uh, beginning to this uh, interview, that we all of us would just leave the past to the mercy of God and we move forward um, with confidence in, in, in trying to follow his will for our lives. Does that make sense? Yeah. Wow. Father Connell, I, I, you know, so my mind doesn't really go there. And I, I think that really speaks to the heart of the pastor that you are, that you, people draw close to you in these moments of the fragility of life, and they are bringing their whole history with them. And I'm normally not coming into contact with folks the way that you are. And I can imagine that folks might be held back from feeling comfortable or confident to bring out into the open maybe some aspects of how they've approached these issues that have been less informed by the church. So, wow, that's a, what a beautiful, powerful way to begin. It, it's very Pope Francis-like. Well, the most loving thing we can do, as you know, is to give people the truth. Uh, but, but that has to be done, uh, you know, recognizing that all of us in one way or another haven't lived up to that, but that shouldn't stop us from, from continuing to strive. I love St. Augustine's uh, phrase, um, Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Very hopeful way of looking at our life. You could have just said that was you, Father Connell. You didn't have to like attribute Augustine on that one. Okay. Well, darn, I wish you had told me before we started talking, I would have, I would have done that. So that's so good. So uh, Father Connell, this uh, going, we have had a chance to, I think this might be our third time having an interview about, are you prepared and an end of life, uh, workshop that it, it, there's actually one coming up a week from Saturday up at Colbert at St. Joseph Parish. And it's a free mm-hmm. workshop, folks. And we're going to be talking to you about that. And um, But this one's different for me, Father, because um, uh, on September the 29th, my dad died. He, uh, and I can say it this way, he went home to God and um, mm-hmm. was spiritually prepared for the end of his life. And I consider that such a, an incredible mercy that he had a holy death. He had a happy and prepared death. But that was uh, really and truly, uh, interestingly, I think, connected to the fact that he had lost his wife, my mom, six years previously. And that shifted his whole way of looking at the rest of his life. Having had he lost his wife, my mom, through a like um, a much quicker, shorter uh, death um, through um, uh, uh, the discovery of of brain cancer that only ended up leaving a, a short three months before she went from a full, vibrant life to to dying, and that yeah. I think shook his whole mindset around his eyes and his heart focused more on heaven. And I, you know, I, I, my hope is that, that that doesn't have to happen for, for folks that are listening, that our minds and our hearts would have their eyes turned towards our heavenly home. And as we're walking this journey of life, that we would be pondering those things that would have us be prepared for uh, what is coming. I always, now I, um, what I'm going to say might be, seem maybe a little odd or insensitive, but just keep in mind, everyone, I, I've had cancer and I've gone through that. And I think, 
you know, as awful as cancer is, w- one of the blessings that, that can come with cancer is that ability to prepare that, you know, I, I know the end is near. I mean, if it is near now, thank God in my case, it wasn't, but um, for those who do know the end is near, um, I need to, you know, that's the reality. And as I told people, you know, this is the time to say what you need to say to family members. This is the time to prepare. You know, we can't put this off any longer. We, we do this every Advent, and I think we do it with a wink and a nod. I don't think we really think that the end of the world is coming, um, or we don't act like it, maybe. But certainly with a terminal illness, a diagnosis, in a sense, that is a gift from God to say, okay, the end is coming. I need to prepare to go home to the Lord. And part of the preparation is, is, is or part of that uh, reality is to make some preparations to indeed go home to him. Well, and Father Connell, what you just said, again, using that vision of death as a going home, not as an ending up in the ground, and this is the end of all things, that really has to do with a Christian perspective on death and dying. And that's what you're talking about. And I think that's one of the things that is, it gets pressure tested, right? When you're in the fire of um, something like uh, an imminent death of, of oneself or one's loved ones. And I think that being able to come together at a workshop to be able to reflect on these things when uh, the, let's say the heat is, you know, the, the pressure is not on so much. I think there's such a gift in that. Yeah, I, I, uh, I definitely think so. And I think, you know, we're swimming against the tide a little bit as, as the, our world becomes more and more secular, because I don't, and I even hear this in Catholic circles, they'll go to a, a funeral vigil, a rosary, and, you know, mom is in the, in the casket there and, and a family member say, well, you know, you know, mom's in a better place. She's gone. And, you know, I, I don't get into it at that time, but I think to myself, well, you know, mom is not gone because we are both body and soul. And so j- just because the soul is gone doesn't mean mom is gone. Mom is here. We, there's that integral connection between a body and soul. And yes, at the moment of death, our soul goes through that particular judgment before the Lord. But we are both bo- uh, body and soul, which is why we need to take care of the body uh, at the moment of death, which is why Holy Cross uh, uh, is, is providing these workshops to help us. Well, what does that mean to, to care for the body and death? I thought, you know, we were just soul, but we're not. We're both. I, I've heard people say, I don't care what you do with my body when I die. Just throw it in a ditch. I'll be fine because I'm gone. And I, what I have to say is you're not gone. Uh, you, you, are, <laughs> you are body and soul. And one day, thanks to the resurrection of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, one day, soul and body will, will be reunited again. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like in, in, in the case of our Lord. Something changed about him because his closest disciples didn't recognize his body. Uh, my hope, if I can make it with my bodily resurrection, I'd be maybe a little thinner and have more hair. I don't know what that's going to look like, but um, one way or the other, my soul and body and your soul and body are, will be reunited in, in the resurrection of the dead. Well, I love that. Uh, let's, let's go to Aquinas now. Uh, the insight that in heaven will be 33 years old, uh, which I, I think there's something. I'll take really... it. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? I'll take it. Yeah. I'll take uh, it. But I was like, can I do 30? Because when I was 30, I could still dunk a basketball. Now, is that is that a vain pursuit to have? I, to I, want I to have you, might be, you might be pushing the envelope a little bit, but um, <laughs> if Aquinas says 33, I'll go with 33. Now, and what's the, what's the, I think there's a beautiful theological meaning to that. Like, why, why would the idea be that we'd be 33 in heaven? Well, because, because that was the age that our Lord, uh, 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 the passion of our Lord, passion, death, and resurrection is, of course, that 
at, at yes. 33. And so we, we share well, our Lord's passion. And you know, it's a, that was one of the things that like I've, I've walked with some parents who've lost um, children. And mm-hmm. one of the things I say to them is that your, your young, your young one who has died is not a young one in heaven, but has achieved the fullness of life is fully mature and alive in heaven. And don't think yeah. that there's a little baby in heaven, but there's something about fullness there that that's what we're headed towards. But let's turn towards what can happen as we approach the end of our lives. It will often be accompanied by some type of medical diminishment and diminishment of different dimensions of our lives. And and that can raise all kinds of stress and pressures and issues for families. Uh, is that something that will be discussed at this end of life workshops? Yeah. So uh, um, uh, we have expert speakers there and one of them will speak about those tough uh, medical decisions that come at the end. Um, you know, we all want to die according to, you know, the teachings of the church. We don't, you know, we, we don't want to starve people to death or, but, uh, or you know, have them die of thirst. By the same token, sometimes those those very things can exacerbate our pain and difficulty. And I always tell people, I you know, um, just make your wishes known to your loved one and w- what they are, what you'd like. Um, and 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 in the process, and this is part of the planning, speak with someone who knows what they're talking about. I think of Father Ratuiste, who's our biomedical uh, ethics. Uh, specialist in the diocese, you know, who deals with these issues all the time, because uh, I've dealt a lot with death, and it's not black and white in terms of how to care for people at the end. It just isn't. Death is so complicated, and and our medical advances, which have been great, have, have also kind of clouded um, our decision-making at the end. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh, Father, you know, Father, again, I'm talking with Father Darren Connell. He's the rector of the Cathedral of Our Lady of Lords in Spokane and talking with me about this end of life workshop coming up. It's free. It's happening at St. Joseph Catholic Church in Colbert. It's uh, it, it's from nine to 12, nine in the morning to 12 noon. It, it Mass does begin at 830. Again, it's free and there'll be refreshments there. And it's uh, being sponsored by um, Holy Cross Cemetery services and it's holycrossofspokane.org where you can uh, register for this event uh, and you can RSVP because the, again, there will be some food and information available there. Again, I'll give out more information about this outside of the interview with Father Connell. So Father Connell, as my dad was dying, he had a multiplicity of medical challenges. A lot of them had to do with breathing, lung capacity, heart failure, things like that. And so there was this really delicate dance between use of um, use of uh, uh, morphine and uh, other forms of um, uh, pain medication associated with the impact that that would have on his capacity to breathe. And so there were a, a, a lot of hand wringing kind of conversations that I and my siblings had around how do we balance the sense of care for my dad diminishing his pain, but allowing him to have cognizance about his own condition, but also 
recognizing that he is having other physical impacts because of that. It was, it was a real challenge. But thanks be to God, he had done an advanced healthcare directive and had made his um, wishes known through a, a you know a living will of like what do I want to have happen and not have in regarding medical intervention as as if my life is in fact diminishing like this. Yeah, um, I uh, my uh, my counsel to everyone would be to to speak with your loved ones, your family, your friends, your spouse. What are the things that you want to see uh, in terms of? passing from this world to the next, the, the, the dying process, but then also, you know, afterward, I think one of the greatest gifts we can give to our parents and give to their kids and grandkids is, is, is making all that clear, um, you know, particularly with regard to the, certainly the, the, the medical issues, but also, you know, after death, what do I want to see for my, for my funeral, for my burial and those kinds of things. I, the saddest things to me sometimes is to bury or hear about a, a parishioner who's died in the parish They've been daily mass, daily communicant, 30 years. The adult children have left the church. They don't care about any of this stuff. All they want to do is, frankly, get the, the probate done and move on with life. And it's just so disrespectful um, to, to, the, to the faithful Catholic uh, to not have a funeral mass and to not, not honor their, their body with, with, with the funeral rites. And so the time to, to talk about kids and grandkids about that is now while you're still alive. Look, this is what I want, and I really expect you to to follow my wishes. Oftentimes, when that doesn't happen, if if adult children have fallen away, nothing 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 happens in terms of any kind of a a mass or a service. So uh, the issue in my mind, I think, is communication, communicating very clearly with loved ones what you expect to happen when you go. Well, and honestly, Father, uh, this is the real gift of Catholic cemetery services. And uh, a Catholic cemetery provides, the staffing there provides an incredible amount of care and accompaniment to walk with families as they are planning and thinking about these things. Not only the choice of the sacred ground where they would want to have their remains be laid to rest, but even the kinds of things that you're talking about in terms of, well, where do I begin if I want to plan a, a wake or a funeral, a rosary during the wake or funeral? What does that mean to plan that? And uh, I, I don't have the tools to do that. Well, you know, the beautiful staff at Catholic Cemetery Services, uh, I know in Spokane and, and I know in other places that are, are hearing my voice across the state of Washington, just beautiful, again, folks with a, a sense of pastoral sensitivity, but will walk with families to be able to say, Here's how you can communicate this to your loved ones. And here are the tools you'll need. Here are the kind of decisions that you'll need to, to have made. And I know I benefited from that because we were able to have those conversations with my dad. And my dad designed his own wake that involved a very beautiful uh, rosary and sharing around the rosary. And design, he picked the music for the funeral um, and what how he wanted uh, what, what, what priest he wanted to preside at his funeral, all of these things. Um, it was, it was, it was, that was a real gift. Uh, and I was thrilled that we were able to lean on, um, you know, a Catholic approach to a funeral and a Catholic burial that, um, that, that was just a huge blessing. And it was a relief, frankly, not to have to deal with those conversations apart from my dad. No, it, it's, it, it is, you use the word gift and that's the word I would 
emphasize as well, that it is a gift that we give to our loved ones who remain to have this stuff kind of planned out uh, according to our wishes, because, you know, they're grieving a loss. Uh, there's, you know, it raises all kinds of other issues. I, I, you know, I've seen it many times in families, the death of a parent or something can, can pick old uh, scabs, huh? old wounds in a family. And so, uh, unfortunately, and so anything that we can do to make our wishes clear is a gift to those who go, uh, you know, after us. So they know what we want. There's no fighting about it. This is what mom wanted. This is what dad wanted. And and who who argues against that? I mean, who who's going to uh, argue unless it's not been planned, which is all the more reason Catholic Funeral and Cemetery Services, um, you know, provides these these workshops to give to give uh, people that opportunity to to plan for the future. Yeah, uh, Father, I'm talking again with Father Darren Connell about uh, these sort of end of life questions and and preparing to to. Uh, be prepared for the end of our own lives, the end of life of our loved ones. Uh, there's another aspect of this, Father, we haven't really talked about yet. You you mentioned it in just the barest of ways passing, and that is, um, what do I want for my legacy? And it, not only at my moment of death, and that I'll be headed towards my eternal reward, hope to God, and, and you know seek to be spiritually prepared, but then there's also the estate planning part of things and leaving a legacy. And I don't know what your experience has been, Father, but I have heard much more frequently in the last few years from folks who are towards the end of their lives who have uh, been more intentional about being clear in terms of directing what they want with their estate. And, and the reason is that there has been a bit more of a weakening of the connection between the uh, you know this generation and the next around the, the 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 good that the church has played in the life of the loved one who has passed, and and so yeah. the, the you know these older folks are, are like I, I really I'm not interested in just handing over the the fullness of my estate into my kids hands trusting that they're going to be generous to the church and to the church organizations and institutions that have been such a huge blessing to me and have been a sense of stewardship and mission that I've lived in this life and so I also want to be real intentional and clear around that part of my life has that been something that has also shown up more I guess more frequently for you yeah so let me give you an example one of my friends, I, I, I read the obituaries almost every day just because I've been a priest long enough that I know a lot of people who are in there. Um, and one of my frustrations is the very last line or two, which says uh, memorial contributions may be made to hospice of Spokane or hospice care or whatever. Now, I, I, I am nothing against that at all. But the part that, that, I, that, that I find just a little irritating is that, you know, hospice had mom for two weeks. But St. Mary's had her for 20 years. Does that make sense? That that yeah, hospice is really great at the end of the last two weeks. But what about day in and day out, daily mass, the sacraments, the anointing of the sick, the baptisms, the celebrations that the parish uh, did or offered to nourish mom and and all in her life? And I'm not criticizing anyone. I just I think it's a, a lack of awareness for the role the church has had and played in in, in the lives of people. And that's why I really try to say, look. Whatever your estate is, you know, let's say it's a, a, a estate of $200,000, okay? Modest estate. Give 10%, tithe 
to your parish, to your Catholic grade school, to you know a Catholic institution that you love, that loved and supported you. Ten percent. Give ninety percent to us, the greedy kids. <laughs> uh, but but give ten percent to the church. It's a wonderful lesson, I think, to 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 those of us who remain bearing our parents. Look, mom and dad were very good to us, but they also, you know, they're reminding us of the importance of of what the church has, the role the church has had in the life of my parents. And uh, I just think it's really important. And it, you know, I it's a great teaching tool. I always encourage people: five, ten percent to your parish, give ninety percent to the kids, and it's it's a lesson uh, for them uh, to learn. Yeah, that makes it really simple and clean and clear. And that I really like that. I think but that's also something that can be formed in people, right? A sense of stewardship, that everything that I have is come from God. And Lord, how would you have me dispose of what you've put into my hands as I'm moving back towards you as my final end? Uh, I've, I've been talking with Father Darren Connell about this end of life workshop happening a week from Saturday, Saturday, January 27th, at 8.30 Mass. That's optional, but the 9 to 12 is the workshop, and it is uh, being sponsored by the Catholic Diocese of Spokane and Holy Cross uh, Catholic Cemetery Services. And it is a wonderful opportunity to reflect on the spiritual as well as the, the bodily needs of those who are at the end of their lives. And there are just so many important questions that it's so easy to avoid. It's easy to just be busy about many things. Oh, we'll put that off for later. Well, here's an opportunity to come together with other folks to listen to experts that are rooted in a Catholic vision, ideals and values, principles and practices for how to approach these things. And you have opportunities not only to listen and learn, but also to ask questions. Well, Connell, my last uh, question to you, and then just give you a chance to say a final word. Uh, what would you say are some of the most pressing or commonly asked questions at workshops like this? I think there's uh, the thing that leads to my mind is the whole concept of, of cremation uh, that I think people, um, they find it a little surprising that the church, the church certainly permits cremation, but the preference of the church is, is for the body to be present for the vigil in the mass. I, I found more and more people, not knowing that, but that is the that is the preference of the church, um, that the body be brought for the rosary the night before, and the body be brought to the funeral mass. It is because, and I know myself, I'm not, not again, not, not judging, and I'm, I'm not cremating my mother and father. I, I, I don't have a relationship with the cremains. I do have a relationship with their bodies that were that were fed the Holy Eucharist, that were anointed with sacred chrism. Um, the bodies that were baptized, their bodies. Were, so the body is, is, has a special relationship um, to who they are. And I just think that uh, for me, well, and for the church, the church prefers that. Now the church obviously accommodates that, you know, without judgment or, uh, you know, or anything like that um, and makes accommodations. So I tell people, look, if you want to save a little bit of money and you want to have the body there for the funeral mass and then have the cremation take place later, you know, there's lots of creative options for how to do all that. And again, all the more reason to attend, you know, a planning workshop like the one offered by Holy Cross Funeral and Cemetery Services that can talk about 
very practical things regarding um, the body being present for the mass, for the vigil, and then and the burial uh, th- th- that follows. But the yes. issue really is cremation. And, you know, all kinds of other things that next time we do an interview, we can talk about alkaline hydrolysis and composting and all the, the awful things that are happening that really deny uh, eternal life and the resurrection of the body. But that's maybe for another show. Oh, wow. Gosh, I, I, you, you just, you stumped me there. No, I've not heard of either one of those things. So, uh, well, Father, you, you've given us wonderful reasons to come to this Are You Prepared End of Life workshop. It's planning for your spiritual and the bodily needs uh, of yourself, your loved ones, especially as we approach the end of our own lives or the end of the lives of those we love. Uh, Father, for any final word that you'd give to us as we are here, we are in the midst of ordinary time launching. We're going to be approaching soon. Uh, le- uh, Lent coming up very early and uh, a special novena. I know we'll have you back on to talk about that. The Our Lady of Lords novena. Uh, any final word you have for us? The only thing that I would say is I know that that for some people, this is a difficult topic to address that we, they just don't, some people just are not comfortable thinking about the end of their own lives, the end of their loved one's lives. And I, I understand that. And that's why there are people like staff at Holy Cross and your own pastor who can be very compassionate with you and, and, and kind of walk with you through this, this process because it's going to happen. The, the time will come and uh, the best gift that you can give to loved ones is, is to prepare. But know that, that there's all kinds of people who are going to walk, walk through this with you, especially if it's not comfortable for you uh, and, and, and you find it distasteful or maybe a little scary or whatever, um, the church stands ready to help you. Yeah. Father Connell, I just, you, you, you prompted one thought in me. I just want to share it and just give you one final, final reflection. And that was that if we wait too long to reflect on these things, what can happen? I, I saw at an early stage in my own dad's um, when we, when we were told it was time to put him. We did hospice at home, but it was time to move him into that stage of his diminishment. It was that um, my siblings, not all of them, but some of them who grew up in a very devout Catholic home, uh, looked at the idea that hope in my dad's situation was limited to recovering health rather than passing through death. And so there was this real uh, conflict and anguish around that these competing visions that hope for my dad only involved getting better and remaining alive, even in a more radically diminished condition, which wasn't going to happen. But the idea that we could face the reality of death, not as the end, but as a door, a passing through to our final hope and its fulfillment. If that's not strongly rooted in our consciousness, in our minds and in our hearts, in in how we live this life, then the idea of death is only and simply a tragedy and an unavoidable dark one, so let's not talk about it. And so I, I would say that even for Catholics, 
people who grew up Catholic, practice their faith, when it comes time to face the reality of death in, in their loved one's lives or in their own, if hope isn't associated with the resurrection and life in heaven, we will be facing a tremendous amount of turmoil and agony and, and, and anguish around the reality of death. Um, so I, I think that a workshop like this can, can help address that and help shift some of that perspective. I, I just, that, that's my final word. What, what, what is your final comment on that? I guess what I'd say is we, you, we began by talking about Dante and I will maybe end with talking about Dante's inscription over hell, which is ye who enter here, abandon all hope. If we don't have hope in eternal life, life's not worth living in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen. Beautiful. Uh, I I said a very long wind up, and you hit a home run with that very short response. Thank you for that. <laughs> good. Okay. Good. <laughs> That's fine. Maybe I can get a job with Sacred Heart Radio. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Thank you so much, Father. I right. really appreciate okay. you coming God on bless today. You. All right. Take care. Thanks. Take care. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com drtomcurran.com okay back to sound insight welcome back to the program it's great to be with you so that was a beautiful really a powerful and moving interview with uh, father connell and i was thrilled to be able to do that and uh, i'm hoping that it stirred in you uh, a desire and a willingness to go uh, to that workshop again coming up a week from saturday and uh, up at St. Joseph's in Colbert. Uh, and uh, coming up in the, in the next segment of the program, I it will be interviewing or re-airing the interview I did with Father Wade Manesis on the gift of the Eucharist, uh, this gift in mystery. And uh, you, you're going to love the interview. He says some really beautiful things and, and, and outlines a number of the presentations that he'll be giving at a retreat this weekend. Uh, beginning on Friday evening, going until Sunday uh, at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center on the South Hill of Spokane. And so you can still register for that event by going to ihrc.net, ihrc.net. And so that's coming up. It begins on the the 19th. And uh, you'll get some beautiful views with the snow. (laughs) So that's exciting. Today is the feast of St. Anthony, uh, the abbot, and he is uh, a great desert father. And for me, um, I didn't realize this. I kind of forgot about this, but he is one of the patrons I feel called upon to uh, ask to support me through intercessory prayer as I go through this time of fasting. And so I'm... I, I've, I'm kind of pleasantly surprised that there's this beautiful gift of uh, this saint's feast day falling in the midst of really, well, at the beginning, the early days of my, of my fasting. Um, and so 
go St. Anthony. I love that. I just I take that as just another little sign from heaven that the Lord is is with me, giving me the strength I need, which honestly, it it fits beautifully with today's reading. Uh, today, the first reading, again, we're walking through uh, the book of Samuel, and we're at that place where David, he's been anointed in the midst of his brothers, right? That was yesterday. And then he gets sent to the front lines where Saul is uh, facing the Philistines, and it's the David and Goliath story. And David has put himself forward and said, I'll take this, I'll take this guy on. I'm not afraid of this. I'm not afraid of taking on this, you know, trained warrior who is, you know, incredible, you know, his height, his strength, all of that. And and yet he's like, let me at him. Let's go. Um, David and Goliath is, I think, um, a, a a parable, or not a parable, an analogy for what so many of us can face in our own spiritual lives. We are anointed by the Lord. We are called upon to serve him. And yet we come up against these opponents, these foes, these enemies that attempt to take us down, attempt to uh, diminish or destroy our spiritual lives. And we ought to seek God's word as a source of truth and strength and light for our lives. Just as St. Anthony the abbot in the early church was a model and an inspiration for others to follow in his own pursuit of the Lord, he was magnetically drawing others onto that same path that he had to face Goliaths in his time. And the Lord gave him the grace and the strength to discern and follow God's path and plan for him. And, and that's true for us. Like, let's not doubt that. Let's not doubt that the Lord has wisdom. He's got guidance for us to give us what we need to be able to fulfill the call, the path, and the plan that is ours. So before we get to the interview with Father Menesis and let him share about the gift of the Eucharist, I'm just going to pray for those of you that are facing a Goliath today, and you're needing to lean into or draw upon that spirit of faith and courage that animated David. That spirit, that's the spirit of the living God. That Holy Spirit is alive in us as well. So let me pray with you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you for the gift of David, for his courageous witness, for his willingness to stand boldly and, uh, and, and willingness uh, to, to take on the, the enemy of, his, uh, of God's people, the enemy uh, of, uh, of, of the, the truth of God. And Lord, I pray for all of those dear ones who are listening right now who are facing a Goliath, facing an enemy. Lord, I just pray that you would give them grace and peace. Give them a, a, a surge of strength within them. That they might have a sense of saying, Lord, you are with me. You'll give me the grace I need 
to be able to fight and win this battle spiritually, fight and win this, overcome this spiritual enemy. Maybe it's within me. Maybe it's the flesh. Maybe it's it's some sin connected to my life in the world. Or maybe it's a spiritual attack. Whatever it is, Lord our God, give strength, wisdom, and courage to the dear ones who are, are listening to my program right now, Lord, that they might be encouraged to have the faith of David and prevail. In Jesus' holy name, amen. And with the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Coming back, Father Menesis. Well, I want to welcome to the program, Father Wade Menesis. Father Wade is going to be coming out to the Spokane area to lead a retreat on the gift of the Most Holy Eucharist. Welcome to the program, Father Wade. Thank you, Tom. It's good to be with you again, and Happy New Year, and Blessed New Year to you and your family. Amen. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. So we're we're in ordinary time, but you're here to come and talk about something that's extraordinary in the midst of ordinary time. Is there really such a thing as an ordinary time for a follower of Jesus? You know, that's a great question. Uh, Mother uh, Teresa, Saint Mother Teresa, said that we are to live our ordinary lives in a very extraordinary way. So I think I think you're on to something. But yes, uh, during this uh, three-year Eucharistic revival in honor of the source and summit of the entire Christian life, the Most Holy Eucharist, I will be out in Spokane at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center, the Diocesan Retreat Center there, out on Ben Burr Road, giving a weekend retreat uh, the weekend of January 19th through the 21st, that Friday evening at 6 is when it begins, and it ends on Sunday at 1 p.m. So we're hoping for a great turnout. The title of my weekend retreat is The Most Holy Eucharist, Gift and Sacrament. And there's five talks throughout the weekend. Uh, the first talk is titled The Eucharist as Foreshadowed in Both the Old and New Testament. You know, uh, a lot of Catholics think that the Eucharist is just a New Testament uh, doctrine, a New Testament reality, a New Testament uh, phenomena as far as the miracle of transubstantiation goes. And while that is true in regards to its institution as a sacrament, it was instituted on the night of the arrest, right? Holy Thursday night, uh, the night before our Lord died uh, in the upper room at the Last Supper. Uh, it is greatly foreshadowed in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. You know, Melchizedek, the, the Old Testament high priest offered bread and wine. Uh, that mysterious manna, bread-like substance that rained down on the Israelites for 40 years to sustain them in the desert after their escape from Egyptian slavery. Uh, the, the list goes on and on, and the New Testament foreshadowings, like the multiplication of the loaves. Um, it's the only miracle of Jesus that appears in all four Gospels. How about that, right? The fact that Jesus was born in a, in a town that means house of bread, Bethlehem. The fact that our Blessed Mother laid him in a manger, an eating trough, right, should be a foreshadowing of the Eucharist that was to be instituted on the up, on, in the upper room on the night of the arrest. So night number two, or, or talk number two, excuse me, I'm in, I'm in parish mission mode. I don't mean night number two. I mean talk number two over the course of the, the weekend retreat. Uh, the talk is of the church fathers on Eucharistic doctrine, what the church fathers of the first eight centuries, many of them, what they had to say about the Eucharist. Uh, talk number three is rekindling Eucharistic amazement. Uh, more modern-day saints in the Eucharist, like St. Mother Teresa and John Paul II. Talk number four is the most blessed of the blessed sacraments. Why do we call the Eucharist the most blessed sacrament? You ever think about that? Uh, doesn't that title somehow imply that it's more blessed than the other six sacraments? We'll talk about that. And then uh, 
Talk number five is a, is a great one, uh, Eucharistic miracles. And we'll look at some of the Eucharistic miracles that have been approved by the church uh, in regards to where a, a, a consecrated host has visibly turned into uh, flesh and blood. So we'll look at some of those approved Eucharistic miracles. So I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I know we have around 20 to 22 signed up right now. Uh, I'm hoping for at least uh, to double that. I know that Immaculate Heart Retreat Center can accommodate that many. So uh, we're hoping for a great turnout. Yeah, Father Wade, uh, you're, you are someone that's very uh, well-received out here. And I know very excited. So I'm excited to be able to get the word out. And not only to get the word out to be able to come and, and to benefit and be blessed by your teaching, but very much about this topic. Because for so many Catholics, the reality of, the Eucharist as the true and real presence of Jesus Christ and what that means for our lives of faith is something that yeah. has waned. And I think yeah. that's one of the reasons why we have this three year of Eucharistic renewal and revival. And so your, your theme of Eucharistic amazement, I, I, I love that word, Eucharistic amazement. How do we foster or rekindle a sense of Eucharistic amazement? Well, you know, we, we look to the sacrament to be what it is. And it is truly from the words of consecration onwards at every mass uh, no longer ordinary bread and wine, but really, truly, and substantially the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, what the church calls the source and summit of the entire Christian life. You know, uh, there's a beautiful uh, passage, both in Lumen Gentium, the Vatican II document, uh, on the church, uh, and also from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 1324, both tell us that the other six sacraments, and indeed all ecclesiastical ministries and works of the apostolate, regardless of what they are, are all bound up with the Eucharist and are oriented toward it. Okay, that's pretty powerful. For in the Blessed Eucharist is contained the whole spiritual good of the church, namely Christ himself. Okay, namely Christ himself. So, I want the people to come rekindle their Eucharistic amazement with a strong, personal, revived faith in these profound truths regarding the Most Holy Eucharist and welcome our Eucharistic Lord and King into their lives, uh, Tom, as they never have before. Uh, this is a parish mission meant for all. Uh, it's, it's meant for uh, singles. It's meant for marrieds. It's meant for widows and widowers. Uh, other uh, religious consecrated men and women, diocesan priests, uh, re religious order men and women. Uh, it, it's a message meant for all because the Eucharist is for all. And let us not forget, Tom, it's also one of the three sacraments of initiation, which means what? It means once you have these three sacraments, you are fully in membership with the Catholic Church. And that is baptism, Eucharist, and confirmation. Once you have all three of those, you are fully, fully in membership with the Catholic Church. You're not just a Catholic, like with baptism in the Catholic Church, but you're fully in membership with the Catholic Church once you have Eucharist and confirmation as well. And, and these three sacraments and their one category of initiation complement the other two categories of the other four sacraments. So we have the two sacraments of union and mission which is the sacrament of matrimony and the sacrament of holy orders, right? And then the two sacraments of healing. We have the anointing of the sick and holy confession. So seven sacraments, three categories, the three sacraments of initiation, two sacraments of, of, of mission and, and union or union and mission, also known as the two sacraments of vocation, matrimony and holy orders, and then the two sacraments of healing. And we're going to talk about how, how the Eucharist as the source and summit of the entire Christian life feeds these other six sacraments. So it truly is a, a retreat meant for all states in life and all vocations. 
That's so beautiful. So, Father Wade, as you travel around in your apostolate and the great work you do at EWTN, where so many folks are coming to you and listening to you, how have you found the Eucharist as a point of focus for our lives of faith, that source and summit that you're talking about, through something like adoration, uh, as oh. a way of helping deepen and, and revive faith? Please talk about that. It greatly, greatly increases faith. Even if a parish, Tom, only has Eucharistic adoration one time per week, let's say on a Friday, the, the day that Jesus died, you often see parishes that may not have a perpetual Eucharistic adoration chapel, but they might expose the Blessed Sacrament one day a week in their church. On a Friday, let's say, after the eight o'clock mass, maybe around 8.40, they, the priest will expose the Blessed Sacrament and it stays exposed throughout the entire day till after or till just before the evening mass, the evening weekday mass that's celebrated by his associate pastor, let's say. Uh, and to have the signups of the parish to come into adore our Lord throughout the day, it greatly, greatly transforms the parish. I have seen it time and time again. The people are more faithful. The confessional lines get longer. The homilies are stronger. <laughs> I mean, you know, you just see the revival taking place because again, every all works of the apostolate, all the other six sacraments, they're all oriented towards the Most Holy Eucharist as Vatican II and as uh, Council of Trent as well, really, but in different wording. And, uh, and also the Universal Catechism all teach us. So it makes sense that everything is transformed when a prominent focus is placed on our Lord in the Most Blessed Sacrament and His real, true, and abiding presence. And it's, it's incredible how a parish can be transformed. So, Father Wade, you're coming out to do this retreat. It's coming up It's just a, in a week and a half from now, on the 19th to the 21st of January at the Immaculate Heart Correct. Retreat Center. I think there's an incredible gift of being able to step apart from your ordinary life, step apart to make a retreat where it can become a point of focus. You can be intentional. You can quiet down. You can step away. Talk about the gift yeah. that a retreat focusing on the Blessed Sacrament, on the gift of the Eucharist. Sure, sure. So, so first of all, the word retreat means what? It means to pull back from, right? We talk about the soldiers re retreating from the front lines of battle, let's say, either to rest or because the war is coming to an end, uh, whatever. They retreat, they, they pull back. Well, that's what the laity or the religious who are attending a retreat do. They're pulling back, Tom, from their everyday norm of activity. They're pulling back, they're retreating, and they're entering into in this case, partial silence. It's not a fully silent retreat because I want participation from the people that I'm preaching to during the retreat. My, my talks are very catechetical in nature, and I want it to be a very much a learning retreat on the great gift that the Eucharist is. So it's a it's partial silence. So when the talk is over, each talk is over, we do enter into a, a, a type of silence, a quasi-silence, a partial silence, so that people can have a quiet time with our Lord, make a visit to the Blessed Sacrament in the chapel, uh, have more time to prepare for Mass, pray Vespers and Lauds with the other retreatants. Uh, and it's a beautiful time to just have that quiet and to focus on, per se, the source and summit of the Christian life, the Most Holy Eucharist. And of course, we have Mass each day. So that's going to feed the retreatants as well, literally, uh, with the Eucharist. And ample time for confession. So really, personal renewal. And then because of that personal renewal that the individual obtains at the retreat, they go back out into the midst of the modern world, their families, their marriages, their workplace, and they're refreshed and they're renewed. And hopefully they're able to share in a way that's appropriate for the different veins of life, 
uh, they're able to share in an appropriate way through evangelization, the great gift that the Eucharist is, the great gift that our Catholic faith is, etc. And that's what I want. You know, Vatican II teaches that every disciple of Christ is responsible in his or her own measure for the spread of the faith. Now, what does in his or her own measure mean? It means according to your state in life, according to your vocation, you are called to have an influence within your own sphere of influence in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that's appropriate, in a way that's convicting. And I want the retreatants to be able to do this in a, in a way that's particularly focused on the Eucharist as the source and summit for their own lives as Catholics. And that's what I'm hoping the, the whole retreat aura, the whole retreat ambiance will will aid them with that. It's not just an instruction during the five talks per se. Really, a retreat is an instruction every minute that they're on retreat. The silence, uh, the, the conversations during the meals, uh, to share faith with another retreatant, uh, to partake in the talks themselves, either as a listener and or, in my case, as an active participator in the catechesis. And I want them to be fed in that regard. And so a retreat just can really offer all of these things with its uh, environment and the setting that it offers to the individual. Yeah, again, I'm talking today with Father Wade Manises. Father Wade has uh, been very gen uh, generous in offering us some time to help spread the word about this retreat he's giving. It's coming up in just, again, a week and a half, the 19th to the 21st, at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center in Spokane. Folks, one of the great gifts of being in the presence of someone like Father Wade is that on a retreat is that you move from just information to insight and encounter. And so a lot of times transformation in our lives of faith is going to come more than just sitting and reading a book. But when right. you can be in the presence of other faith-filled people and being informed in the way that Father Wade is going to be teaching, instructing, catechizing, it'll lead to insight. But that insight is also going to be leading to an encounter, the actual encounter with Christ present in the Blessed Sacrament in times of adoration, and then especially at the source and summit of our life of faith at the Eucharist. Father, I think that's what so many Catholics are hungry for is transformation. And just the last minute, I just uh, give you a, a final chance to invite folks to come out and experience that transformation. Yeah, again, you know, you can experience that transformation through this retreat uh, in the midst of the three-year Eucharistic revival called for by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops at Immaculate Heart Retreat Center there. Uh, it's, it's a retreat center owned and operated by the diocese itself. Usually retreat houses are owned by religious orders. So Spokane has a jewel there and that this is something that the diocese, the, the diocese itself of Spokane, Washington owns and operates. And there's many, many retreats there throughout the year. And I will be there myself to give this three-day retreat Friday through Sunday titled The Most Holy Eucharist Gift and Sacrament. And uh, over the course of those three days, and you can still register online at their website, at the Immaculate Retreat Center website, and also call them and register over the phone. You can do that as well. They're easy enough to find online. And uh, I'm hoping for a great turnout for this retreat. The, the most holy Eucharist gift and sacrament, because that's exactly what it is. It's a gift and it's a sacrament. That's Father Wade. Father Wade, thank you so much for giving me time again today. The website, I'll give more information after Father Wade steps off. It's ihrc.net. Thank you so much, Father Wade. I appreciate the time today. Thank you for this opportunity. God bless you now. Take care.